You are listening to Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. Patch Adams, the man, not the movie. Matthew Budd, assistant professor of medicine at Harvard, introduces Patch's book Gesundheit with these words. Inauthenticity is our modern form of plague. It kills life. We know Patch is a clown, but Bud goes on to tell us that his clowning is deadly serious and has the power to return to us what we doctors have forgotten in medicine. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and today with us we are honored to have Dr. Patch Adams, clown, writer, speaker, and physician to the soul of medicine and society. Most of us are familiar with the movie character, but today we get the rare privilege to listen to the authentic Patch. Patch, welcome to Reach MDXM. Thank you, Michael. Did you like that buildup? It's a little much. Okay, but that's okay. Listen, on page 101 of Gesundheit, the copy I have, the title of the page says, I give, surrendering can set you free. So I give. It's hard to keep track of you. Tell us what you're up to lately. Well, the backbone of my work for 37 years is to build the Gesundheit Hospital, which represents the only model, not only in this country, but in the world, addressing fully the problems of healthcare delivery in a single model. That's what I spend my lifetime to raise funds for. I'm on the road 300 days a year. For example, in the next 100 days, starting tomorrow, I'll take 45 clowns to Ecuador for 10 days, then teach at the School for Designing a Society at our building site in West Virginia, and then go to Florence, Italy, to a medical conference and to teach at the medical school there. Then I'll spend two weeks at Wavy Gravy's performance camp in California for 7- to 14-year-olds teaching clowning and rope walking, clown philosophy. I will then go back to Italy to Bologna and then go to Gesundheit for our annual board meeting, then go to Montana for some lecturing, then go to the Cork Comedy Festival in Ireland, then take 70 clowns to the Amazon of Peru to be part of a very extensive project we started there for two weeks. Then I do some engagement in the U.S. and then a week touring in Japan and then five days in Brazil and three in Mexico, and that's my summer. It sounds kind of busy. When we had talked last, you said you were really focusing on hunger, starvation, building hospitals. Talk about that. Well, I, I, Michael, ever since my teen years, I've been a political activist, so that everything that I do is working for peace and justice. I feel that our government is fascistic, and the murdering terrorist government of our current era, and that the globalization is the modern genocide, the privatization and structural adjustment around the world. I go all over the world, and I study extensively globalization and feel that we have found a legal way to mass murder the world's community and to steal its resources and at the same time pollute them so that our survival, meaning our non-extinction, seems to be going out the window, that I feel assured we're going to be extinct this century. And so a lot of my, I would say all of my work in some way tries to stem that tide to educate people. I lecture all over the world and have maybe 50 presentations that go into those concepts and try to take the most expensive thing in this country, health care, and give it away for free as a pie in the face of 
capitalism, which I think is the worst thing that ever happened in the human community, the celebration of greed, poverty, violence, they're simply consequences of a value system based on greed and power over, and I suppose I'm trying to stop that. Well, there's a lot of the listeners out there who believe in that also, and they're in their offices in the big cities in the suburbs. What do they do? How can they, they're not going to necessarily go on a six-month trip or go on a clowning trip. What can we do as individuals to, to combat this? Well, if anyone has any respect for me and what I'm saying, and they hear that I say we will probably be extinct this century, if they're a human being, they can respond in that way. If they're a physician, they might, why would I be saying those things? Am I simply a crackpot, someone to tear a pot on part on Fox News, or what if I tell the audience I have an 18,000-volume library with 2,000 books on the environment? So what anyone can do, if they look at their life and they saw their child, and they're reading a good book and enjoying a nice mint julep on the lawn, they see their child's 18-month-old child step off the curb and start running in traffic, they're going to stop everything that they're doing to prevent that child from running in traffic. I'm saying our human race is stepped off the curb and running in the traffic. So at least it would behoove people to see if I might be exaggerating or completely crackers or maybe what I'm saying rings true. And then a person has to decide where their priorities are. In the case of their own single child, they're going to spill their drink on their book, knock over their chair, and run and protect the child. We are at that level, and people, we, we, we don't have enough time for armchair philosophy that people, if they find themselves concerned about the future of humanity, they can then take every second of their life and design themselves as an instrument for the midwifing of a loving world, a world whose value system is based on compassion and generosity, so that whoever listens can decide forever to be a universally friendly person and a celebrant of life, so that publicly that's the only person another person sees. They're putting joy and love into an environment. That's certainly something anyone can do, even if they're not getting proactive outside of their day-to-day -day life. So informing themselves, deciding for themselves in any given moment to be peace and justice and, and a celebration of life. And then, again, a person has to ask themselves, okay, if we don't change, we will be extinct this century. How can I reevaluate how I spend my time and what I do to stem that tide. Patch, I hear what you're saying. And you talk a lot about, or you have talked in the past, about the doctor-patient relationship and where it's gone and how it's diseased. Can we talk about that for a minute and your thoughts on it? Well, again, I think it's very connected to what we were just talking about. In actual fact, how is it that every relationship we have with another human being is not fully embracing unity and love of all people. We could have chosen to do that rather than to be suspicious and distant and lonely and all of the other current maladies of our society. 
that in a world of greed and capitalism, there is an impossibility to prevent the abuses that occur in rank and hierarchy. And certainly the doctor-patient relationship as I was trained and you were trained is a hierarchical relationship of power and money and information. And so, as I was saying in the other portion, one can at any given time choose to say, how can I inject in this experience a path towards a loving world? Now, for me, I knew I was never going to charge any money for my care. And it wasn't that I was free for poor people. I wanted to eliminate the idea of debt in the medical interaction, that when one was cared for, it wasn't something one owed somebody something for, but some celebration of belonging to community and community cares. So that's why we never charged money, never carried malpractice insurance, never accepted third-party reimbursement, because all of those interfere with the authentic love relationship between two people. And my ideal patient was somebody who wanted a deep, intimate friendship with me for life. I knew in that kind of intimacy that great medicine can happen, that indeed it is the relationship that is what is potent at a deathbed or intractable pain or chronic unsolved medical problems, that maybe the real meaning in life is in the kind of relationship a doctor can choose to have every time they walk in the patient room. So since we used our home as a hospital and didn't charge money and people came and spent the night there, it was indistinguishable from regular friendship. Patch, you've talked to medical students. I teach medical students too. And when I see them starting off in medical school, they're young, idealistic. I talk to them about loving patients. Somehow in the process, something gets messed up. How do we change the beginning here for these students and, and so they come out sounding like you? Well, we tax the rich 90%. We, uh, we serve the people and not the corporations. And we make healthcare education free for all people. So you right away do not make it an elitist organization. You offer free education to the students. You fire all the rude doctors, and you don't allow students to be around rude, arrogant pricks the way I had to do it in, in medical school. But your calling card as a professor in a medical school is your compassion. And if you pass that test, then you are allowed to teach students. I mean, I have a feeling you wanted a much simpler and less broad-sweeping uh, answer to the question that I'm giving. But I, I like to think of actual answers rather than Band-Aids. No, I asked you for a cure, not a Band-Aid. I don't want yeah, a Band-Aid. Well, I'm, my sense is that you, certainly in a medical education setting, get rid of all arrogant and rude and hierarchical healthcare professionals. Will we have any left? We would have some left, and we would have more as they started to graduate. And we can even think of a rehab program where... Every time you're rude, you lose $1,000 on your pay. No questions asked. It really depends on whether or not people really, really do want to change. Love was never mentioned in medical school once to me. And had it been mentioned, it would have been denigrated as unscientific, as unproven, as irrational. And so as a feeling, where for me love is a thought, so a real grounded base of education and compassion and wellness and being well, 
integrated with complementary medical techniques where it is required of a doctor that they find inner peace, that they find their love of humanity, and that if a doctor is not in love with humanity, that they're not graduated. And on that, we are talking to Dr. Patch Adams, who is teaching us that love is a four-letter word, but a way of being. Not a thing, not anything you can feel. It's the way we all should be. And I want to thank Patch, who's been our guest sharing his vision, his ideas, and his dreams with us. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach XM233, the channel for medical profession professionals. Your comments and questions are welcome. Please send them to us. Email us at xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening. <laughs>